Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. I hope you're doing well wherever you are across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I'm happy to take your phone calls. Operators are standing by. (laughs) I actually want to start this hour with a phone call, which I typically don't do, but I've just, I've been sitting here in my chair reading the news and I'm going to shake things up. I'm going to try to make it interesting for all of you. It is a big national story, even though it may sound local to some of you. Um, I want to explain why uh, and go into the details. And, And to kick this off, I think there's a relevant phone call here from Greg that I want to take first. Greg, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Eric, how you doing? Really enjoy your show. Thank you. Hey, yeah, quick question. I, I really appreciated the, the, the survey or poll results and uh, that is kind of shifting Kim's way. Do you feel like there will be some, some I guess, um, rollover towards Herschel Walker and, and the results you're seeing with Kemp? And will there be a split ticket of uh, people voting for Kemp and people voting for Warnock? You know, I actually am more and more inclined at this point to think there's going to be a split ticket. Um, In most states, not all states, but most states, including Georgia, federal candidates who are statewide appear before state candidates who are statewide. So the Warnock-Walker race will come first on the ballot in Georgia. The Kemp-Abrams race will come second. And I do think you can see that split. Uh, Georgia notoriously has split. So, for example... Um, in 2020, you had uh, Biden beating Trump and then uh, until the runoff, uh, Leffler and Purdue outperforming the Democrats till they got into the runoff. Uh, you're going to see a split, I think. Now, that being said, I, I have it on good authority. The Walker campaign is shaking up their campaign. Uh, they brought in some new staff to handle things, uh, people who work better with the candidate, and he can still win. I, I don't want, I've been critical of the campaign. I think there are deep flaws in the campaign. I still think Warnock or Walker rather can win this thing, particularly because the environment is so bad for the Democrats. Gravity is a law of the universe that never fails. What goes up comes down. When Biden's polling is coming down, he drags others around. The gravitational force of the president uh, impacts his party in unforeseen ways, and Warnock can absolutely lose the race. I want to spend a little time on this. Let me explain to those of you who may be listening uh, in Springfield, Illinois, on WMAY, or uh, WDBO down in Orlando, WOKV in Jacksonville, WHIO, Uh, Dayton, KRMG, Tulsa, wherever you are nationwide listening to this program. I want to explain to you why Georgia is the center of the political universe and why you need to pay attention to what I'm about to say. If Warnock wins, the odds of Republicans taking the Senate are pretty slim to none. Republicans need to win this seat. Warnock is a very good candidate spending about a million dollars a week on streaming targeted ads. I don't think Republicans understand just how good Warnock is right now with his ads. And his ads are good ads. Objectively, as someone who's run political campaigns, as someone who's done television, radio, and mail ads for candidates, Warnock's ads are some of the best I've seen. Behind the scenes, Republicans will acknowledge it. For those of you not in Georgia, let me explain to you this phenomenon. 
I live in middle Georgia. I live in Macon, Georgia, about an hour. My, In fact, when I get in my car and drive to my office, it is exactly an hour and 15 minutes uh, to get to my office. And when traffic is bad, it can be a little longer, but usually it's right in about an hour and 15 minutes. I don't mind the commute. It's a good time to listen to the news, think about the show, and then get up to the office. A lot of times I'm, I'm out of my house in a home studio, and I don't mind it. But when I'm in middle Georgia watching my streaming services, I watch most sports and stuff on streaming. I get Warnock streaming ads. And the Warnock streaming ads tend to be about uh, lowering the price of insulin, helping people with prescription drugs. If I drive two hours south of my house, down to Albany, Georgia, down to the Tifton area, which is South Georgia, a lot of farmland agriculture down there, and I turn on the ads, turn on the streaming service. If I am white, I will see an ad from Raphael Warnock talking about fighting for farmers and economic relief for farmers damaged by storms and droughts. If I'm a black person in South Georgia, I'm going to see ads about Raphael Warnock standing up to the Department of Agriculture and its historic racism and discrimination against black farmers. If I drive the hour and 15 minutes to my office and get to Buckhead, um, our office is right on the center of Midtown and Buckhead in Atlanta, uh, right north of 17th Street in Atlanta, and I get in my office and I turn on my laptop, I'm going to see an ad from from Raphael Warnock talking about fighting for civil rights for all people. His ads are highly targeted. I am told he has about 70 variations of his ads. He targets them to the coast. If you're in Savannah, you will see ads about Raphael Warnock fighting for the Port of Savannah. If you're in far southwest Georgia, there's a submarine base there, and he'll be Raphael Warnock standing for the military. The Republicans aren't doing that. It's highly targeted. As a student of politics, I find it genius that Raphael Warnock is doing this. I covet Raphael Warnock's advertising campaign. It is a brilliant ad. Whether you're a Republican or Democrat, it's brilliant. And Herschel Walker's up against that. The irony here is that advertising does not matter when the leader of the party, President Biden, is a clunker. But that gets me to something else and something I want you all to understand here, process and pay attention to. Go back to 2014 in Georgia. In 2014, Barack Obama's polling was in the 40s. Republicans were on the verge of taking back the Senate. They were going to hold their own in the House. They were going to do a great job. In Georgia, Democrats did not have a deep bench, and so they decided to go for nostalgia. Sam Nunn, still a famous American, he was in the United States Senate. Uh, Sam Nunn was big on nuclear proliferation and defense in the United States. He was one of those Democratic hawks, strong against the Soviet Union. And the Democrats nominated his daughter, Michelle Nunn, to be the Senate candidate in Georgia. Uh, Republicans had a very messy three-way primary. Jack Kingston, Karen Handel, uh, David Perdue, they got into the runoff with Kingston and Perdue, and Perdue won. Perdue was best known as the CEO of Dollar General and the cousin of the very popular former governor of Georgia, Sonny Perdue, who'd go on to be the Department of Agri- Secretary of Agriculture for Donald Trump. And during the summer, Michelle Nunn was tied or ahead of David Perdue in the polling. 
The Democrats also nominated Jason Carter to run against Nathan Deal, the incumbent Republican. Jason Carter was the grandson of Jimmy Carter. He was a charismatic, attractive, young Democrat who was a liberal but spoke like he was a conservative. And I want to review for you now the polling. In March, it had Jason Carter ahead of Nathan Deal in one poll. In a late March poll, it had at 43-39 Deal Carter. In April, it was 43-42 Carter to Deal. In August, there was one poll that had them tied. Rasmussen poll had Deal ahead by one point. You also had uh, two other July polls that had Jason Carter winning. You had some August polling that either had a deal a point ahead or uh, Carter three or four points ahead. By September, you had Carter 44, 47 to 44 deal. And at the end of September, you had 45, 44 um, Carter ahead. You get into October and it's either the candidates were tied or one of them was slightly ahead. Only at the end of October was Deal consistently ahead. Now, fast forward to 2018. Stacey Abrams beat Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp had uh, pulled ahead of uh, Casey Cagle in the Republican runoff in July of 2018. And then at the very end, Donald Trump came in and endorsed him, pushed him completely over the top. Kemp would have won the runoff. All of the metrics showed he won early voting. He would have won day of voting. But but Trump, chef's kiss for that. In August, every poll had Stacey Abrams ahead. In September, two polls had Stacey Abrams ahead, one 48 to 42. Two polls had Brian Kemp ahead by a point. One poll had them tied. Head into October, and the University of Georgia poll for the AJC had them tied. The Southern Majority poll had Abrams at 50%, Kemp at 46 Two Republican pollsters, Trafalgar and Signal, had Kemp ahead. But most polls either had it tied or had Abrams winning in the summer. The reason is because summer polling in the South, it's not just Georgia. Other southern states show this phenomenon, uh, but in the South, you tend to have a lot of families who vote Republican are on vacation. They're not answering the phones from the pollsters. They're out of town. They're in church on Wednesday nights. They're in church on Sundays. Uh, the summer is a very difficult time for Republicans in the South. And in 2014 and in 2018, the Republican winners of the election were behind for most of the summer. And people weren't panicked in Georgia because they know it's a standard phenomenon. If you go back to Sonny Perdue, 
You saw the same phenomenon for him, uh, and you saw it for Nathan Deal in his first election in 2010. The Republican tends to be behind in the summer and surge ahead in the fall where they ultimately win, and it just has to do with who is answering the phones during the summertime. That's why it's very notable that right now, all of the public polling out there shows Brian Kemp ahead of Stacey Abrams. The public polling does and the private polling does. What's most notable is that Kemp is winning Hispanic voters and Asian voters, and that's a trend we've seen now in both public and private polling. And now the internal polling from the Kemp campaign shows what the public polling is showing. He's about five points ahead. He is dominating Abrams in every demographic group except for black voters. But among young black men, he's getting a quarter of those. This is showing in Georgia the same phenomenon we're seeing around the country. But what I find most remarkable about it is that it defies the historic trend lines in Georgia of Republicans doing better. Now, there will be some who say, well, maybe it's reversed now. Maybe it's the Democrats who are up for except that the trend line hasn't changed there. You still have a lot of the Republicans on vacation not answering the phones, and you will see the margin go up over time. Abrams right now is historically, based on Democratic polling in Georgia, peaking. Democrats in Georgia tend to do better. There will be a couple polls out in October that show her doing well, but most of the polling will begin to coalesce around Kemp. And it's already starting to happen way sooner than normal. And the fact that he's winning Asian and Hispanic voters in Georgia shows just how badly Abrams bungled calling for boycotts of Major League Baseball in the All-Star Game in Georgia. She overplayed her hand. She believed the media hype about herself. She believed that she was destined for this job and she ran a campaign of inevitability. While Brian Kemp has run a campaign to get reelected, they did different things. What I find to be the most notable data point in all of this is one thing. If you listen to Abrams on the campaign trail now and in her commercials, overwhelmingly, she will not mention the name Brian Kemp. She just refers generically to the current governor, which tells me her own internal polling shows that Brian Kemp is more popular than her. Why else would she avoid speaking his name and going with generic incumbent governor or current governor uh, or whatever the line is she uses? Because she doesn't want people to know she's talking about the guy they like, Brian Kemp. Folks, the signature hymn sheets from Bowling Branch are a bestseller for a reason. They use the highest quality threads on earth for a superior softness, a better night's sleep. The sheets are made with threads so luxurious, three U.S. presidents love them. They feel buttery to the touch. They're super breathable. Now, here's the thing. I can tell you this from personal experience. Every time you wash the sheets, they get softer. You know, people worry about thread counts for sheets. You need to worry about the quality of the threads. Bolin Branch uses fantastic ones. You can just feel them and they get softer and softer over time. They're very, very breathable for the summer, but they also have a good weight for the winter. They help you sleep well at night. They're not so light that you feel like nothing's on you. They They're the perfect weight. They're the perfect sheet from Bolin Branch. You'll immediately feel the difference with their iconic signature sheets. Right now, get 20% off site-wide during the annual summer event happening now only at BolinBranch.com. It's their best offer of the year before the holidays, so you need to act now. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D Branch.com for 20% off site-wide. Phenomenal deal with phenomenal product. I'm telling you, we use them in our house. Long before I was a broadcast reader, we use Bowl and Branch. You should too. Bowlandbranch.com for 20% off site wide. Hi there. 
It's Eric Erickson. I sure hope you are doing well. We got a lot of other stuff to talk about today. Uh, one of those things is, and again, this goes back to the Democratic bubble. It's, it's kind of funny how it, you see this phenomenon online now where when you talk about an issue that is in the news, the partisans on the left say, you're just obsessed with this issue. I'm not really obsessed with it. I'm responding to the news headlines about it. And one of those headlines is the um, Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services, uh, Rachel Levin. Uh, he's the transgender um, Secretary of Health and Human Services. And, well, he is pushing puberty blockers and empowerment of children to get sex reassignment surgeries. So we really want to, 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 to base our treatment and, uh, and to uh, affirm and to uh, support and empower these youth, not to limit their participation in activities and sports and even uh, uh, limit their ability to get gender affirmation treatment in their state. Can we walk through that statement? So we really want to, 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 to base our treatment and, uh, and to uh, affirm and to uh, affirm. They want to affirm. They don't want to challenge. They don't want to be objective. They want to affirm a gender identity issue. Uh, support and empower these youth. Not they want to empower the youth to get a sex reassignment surgeries. Not to limit their participation in activities and sports and even... Uh not participate or limit their activities in sports. They want to be able to give them sex reassignment surgeries and then allow them to participate in the sport of their newly preferred gender. Uh, uh, limit their ability to get gender affirmation treatment in their state. Gender affirmation treatment. Uh, we live in 1984. The word choices. The word choices. Gender affirmation, we affirm, uh, you know, Bill Maher on Friday night said he was so glad that when he was a kid and he identified as a pirate, his parents didn't schedule him for surgery to pull out one of his eyes so he was permanently patched and chop off one of his legs so he was peg-legged because he grew out of it. There's a video circulating from the Libs of TikTok account where a uh, trans teacher says he, looking like a she, has been reading books on pronouns to his first grade class, and two of the children have decided they're trans too. Parents tend to realize there's something off with that. Parents tend to realize Something is profoundly wrong with this. And there's a backlash brewing, but the media doesn't want to recognize it. The media can't recognize it. The media refuses to recognize what's going on because they're in that bubble. They're in that camp with the left. They're, they're in this together. They're advancing the left's narrative on this and shouting down anyone's, oh, you're just obsessed with it, you bigot. Why are you so obsessed with people's choices? Well, somebody's got to protect the kids from the idiot parents. And that should be the role.
of government and society. Think about this. They want 16-year-olds to be able to vote, but not to own a gun or drink a beer. They want five-year-olds to be able to cut off their genitals and take puberty-blocking drugs that can have long-term consequences, and they downplay all that stuff. These people are not right. Someone needs to do an intervention before the voters get hold of them, and I'm okay with voters doing the intervention, but this is not right. This is just bizarro world that the Biden administration is promoting. Hi there. It's Eric Erickson. Welcome. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, I'm going to go back to the phones. John, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the show. How are you? Mr. Erickson, thank you very much for taking my call and thank uh, everyone else that's involved. Listen, in a nutshell, you said something a little while ago talking to a caller about an Android phone. You ended that conversation you were very wise brilliant to to parse the words every vote matters we have heard from the opposition every vote counts this is not about georgia this is north south east west your whole listening audience you were brilliant in using the word, you parse it out. Because if it gets down to the brass tacks of whatever you hear from the media, oh, you're going to lose, go out and vote. You might be that one vote that now, gets, your, gets your candidate elected. John... I'm I, I I'm at a loss here because I'm I'm surprised Charlie let you through to say something nice about me. This doesn't happen. I, I, I just I, I don't understand. He, he must have his child must have been doing the call screening because someone got on to tell me I was I was smart about something. Listen though, here's my fear, John. You're brilliant, buddy. You're Listen, brilliant. Here here's my fear, and it is that we on our side get confident enough about the wave building that we're like, ah, I don't got to go vote today. Everybody else is going to go vote. And everybody else says the same thing. And then suddenly we get Stacey Abrams for governor in Georgia and, and, and we don't take back the Senate. Everybody's got to go vote. Everybody's got to do it. Um, everybody needs to be engaged. And, and I don't actually say that on a partisan point. Uh, and John, I, listen, I appreciate the phone call very much. I appreciate the compliment. I'm stunned you got through. Uh, to, to be able to give me a compliment that just never happens. Or you'd think on my show, they would allow people to come on and tell me how awesome I am. But nope, they don't do it. In fact, you should see what they text me during the show. But John, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, uh, and But I, I want to I just play off of what John said here for a minute. I'll, I'll engage on my brilliance here. Completely off the beaten path from everything I was going to talk about. But thank you, John, for doing that, saving me from what I wanted to talk about uh, and, and doing this instead. Every vote matters. And I, I want to, I, I, I genuinely want to make a nonpartisan point here. I'm a partisan. For those of you who are new to the program, I was an elected Republican on a city council, got myself elected, and before that, I ran races. I was a lawyer who loved politics, and out of my law firm began to help politicians and candidates for office and fell into campaign management. 
I've done grassroots organizing. I've done coalition building. I've done campaign management. I've done strategy. I've been a campaign uh, consultant and strategist. I've done mail pieces. I've done TV. I've done radio. I've done polling. It was a jack of all trades, and I had a very good win record. I love politics. Uh, I, I one day would love to do a master class through this program for people on how you run for office. Because I used to get people elected. I know how to do it. I know how to look at a precinct and say, okay, it's grown by 10%. I need this many votes in the precinct. Here's where I'm going to get them. Here's how I do it. Here's how I target. I, I, I know this stuff. I used to do it for a living. I love politics. And while the coalitions are different and the people are different and the themes are different and the issues that motivate people are different, uh, Democrats and Republicans run campaigns in a remarkably similar way. They have different coalitions. They have different groups that help them. Um, and, but but they, they you all run campaigns by knowing I've got to get this many votes to win. Here are the votes per precinct. Here's how I'm going to get them. Here's how I'm going to organize. Here's how I'm going to persuade. Uh, believe it or not, you only need to persuade about 4% of the vote. Because of all the Americans who live in America, not all of them are registered voters. And of those who do, uh, they, they those who are registered to vote, many of them don't vote. And among the people who vote, 20-some-odd percent always vote Democrat, 20-some-odd percent always vote Republican, uh, a couple of percentage always vote guns, all, a couple of percent always vote abortion, a couple of percent always vote environment. Uh, and that leaves you about 4% of the total population who are persuadable voters to get to vote. And in some cases, districts and precincts are drawn in such a way that you got no chance of winning them because it's so Democrat. And in, in uh, swing districts... What you want to do is find every possible vote on your side to come out to vote and find the independents and get them to vote, and it's possible to win. And so I like the political process, and I'm fascinated by it internally on the Republican side and on the Democratic side, and I don't care who you are, what your sexuality is, what your gender preference is, um, your race. I just i am fascinated by the public's interaction with the political process and the way politicians, partisans, consultants, party strategists, and the like try to get people to go vote. What I am most fascinated about in this political season is just how badly the Democrats are bungling the basics. And what I have decided is that uh, that's my bias against them. And the Democrats are not bungling the basics. They're doing a mitigation strategy. I still think they could do different and they could do better. But just follow along with me here. The Democrats know they are going to lose. They know it. Now, they can't say that publicly because they don't want to suppress their vote. But they know they're going to lose. They know they're going to lose in Florida. This is, as a student of politics, as someone who lives in Georgia, it is remarkable to me that the Democrats uh, view Georgia as more of a swing state than Florida. When I was growing up, for years before I was even born, Florida was seen as a quintessential swing state. It was in play for Republicans and Democrats. Increasingly, Florida is off the table. And for all the years that Republicans have fretted about the Democrats having California, suddenly in the Electoral College, Republicans have... Florida and Texas. 
The Democrats are doing a strategy that those of us on the right don't seem to recognize. And I finally decided it's not that they're screwing up. So they are screwing up. They are doing things they should not do at a federal level. But they're also mitigating. They got to energize their base. So, for example, I want to go back to this clip. I want to play this clip. This is uh, Amos Hushstein. He's the special presidential coordinator for international energy affairs. He is talking to uh, my buddy John Berman on CNN uh, this morning. Listen to this. So it's about making a choice between what is the short term and the medium term so that we can make sure we have enough oil and gas to support us through the transition. And what are the kind of steps that we don't want the oil and gas industry to take that would have long-term consequences when we don't want uh, new major projects that would take 20, 30 years to, to become profitable. So we have to make that differentiation to make sure that the American consumer has what it needs to grow, to gl- grow our economy and the global economy, but not take steps and endanger the climate uh, work that we're trying to do to make sure that we're on a better footing to accelerate the transition. They want to accelerate the transition to renewables by depriving oil and gas companies of the ability to make a profit on a 20-year venture. And that 20-year venture that he's talking about is notable because uh, to start new exploration, drilling, production, and refining, it takes 20 years to make a profit. So what the uh, White House Energy Advisor Amos Hushstein is is essentially admitting is that the White House uh, has no desire to allow oil companies to expand drilling, production, and refining in this country. Uh, they want to deprive them of the ability to make a profit. Therefore, they will not invest in it. That's key. And you and I can look at this and say, oh, my God, this is nuts. How could they do this? I mean, they're going to bungle the election. How are they so bad at this? Except... If you already think disaster is ahead, you have to mitigate disaster. If you cannot mitigate disaster with the independents and the moderates and the Republicans, you have to maximize your basis turnout. So they have to fire up the Democratic base. They have to get them engaged and care about January 6th. They have to get them to see that Joe Biden is declaring a climate emergency and taking this on. And it's the Senate that's the impediment on abortion and all this other stuff. They got to fire up their base. They got to maximize every Democratic voter. They got to get them to turn out. They cannot allow these people to be despondent and stay home. So what we're going to see between now, July 19th, and Election Day in November is a concerted effort by the Democrats to fire up their base in an angry rage so they go to the polls. What we're seeing is the Democratic Party that has given up trying at all to persuade the center of the country to come their way. It's a damning indictment on the position of the Democratic Party, is it not? They've given up on everybody else except hardcore progressives. But that's what they're doing. And so it makes sense now to see Ron Brownstein, who is a um, he's a, an analyst, he's a columnist, he's a senior editor of The Atlantic, a political analyst for CNN. He's very much of the left. Uh, Trump really pushed him further left. He used to be progressive, but not as blatant as he is now. But he tweeted out in a new CNN poll 
On the House ballot, Democrats are winning 19% of voters who disapprove of Biden, which is what the New York Times poll showed in 2018. Republicans won only 8% of Trump disapprovers. That's de- that decoupling gives Democrats a midterm path if it can last. Now, what does this actually mean? It means that uh, there are more people who dislike Biden who are voting Democrat in this midterm than there were people who dislike Trump who voted Republican in the 2018 midterm. In other words, there are Democrats who are upset with Biden who are going to vote Democrat because they don't want the Republicans in charge. And if the Democrats interpret that as this is our path to mitigate what's going on, what we're going to find is the Democrats go guns blazing into November, attacking the GOP for everything. They're racist, bigots, anti-democracy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that will be the Democratic message in November. It will not be about mitigating with the moderates. It will not be about trying to persuade independents that they're okay. It will be about maximizing every single Democratic voter out there to turn out, not to save them, but to spare them an even worse defeat. There's a difference between sparing them and saving them from a worse defeat. That's exactly what's happening here. That's what the Democratic strategy is at this point. They've got to do something to preserve as much as they can, knowing they're going to lose, knowing they're going to the minority. But will it be a 51-seat Republican majority in the Senate or a 55-seat Republican majority? Will it be a 20-seat Republican win in the House or a 40-seat Republican win in the House? Will the Republicans pick up new governor's mansions or just hold their own? That's what this is. That's what we're seeing. Democrats no longer care about the middle. They care only about the fringe of their party and getting them out to do their best to save them, which is why you can hear something as absurd as this from Bonnie Watson Coleman, a Democratic congresswoman. If I had a conversation with someone I worked with very closely for the last seven years who told me at the age of 62, she was still having a period and was still sexually active with grandchildren. And she said, what if I got pregnant? I'm telling you, as bizarre as that was to hear, they're playing to the progressive base to mitigate the destruction that's coming. But what they're admitting and doing it is the destruction is still coming. Along the way, there's going to be economic calamity. And one of the ways to prevent it is to consider precious metals in your portfolio to balance out the ebbs and flows of your portfolio. Gold Co. can help you do that. It's time to get serious about protecting your retirement savings. If you don't have a lot of options out there, consider physical gold and silver. Not certificates. Some companies actually, I didn't know this until I started researching. Some companies sell you certificates that claim uh, that you own gold and silver, but they don't actually give you the gold and silver, just the certificate. Gold Co., you get physical gold and silver. Call them at 855-904-5933. You get a free wealth protection kit to learn how to use gold and silver to protect and grow your money. They got thousands of retirees doing this. Many are getting $10,000 or more in free silver for doing it. Call my friends at Gold Co., find out how you qualify for their offer. They've helped thousands of Americans deal with stock market turmoil and in inflation with inflation, the way it's been, not since the Carter administration, get back to thinking about physical gold and silver. You haven't had to for about four decades and now you need to think about it again. If you text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, 
to 33777. I will text you back Gold Coast toll-free number. Text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. You'll get Gold Coast toll-free number. Call them. Tell them I sent you. See if they're a good fit for you. I'm not telling you to use them. I'm telling you to consider them. Consider the options, and they're a good one if you're worried about inflation and want to think about gold and silver. Text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number eight seven. Well, who cares about the phone number at this point? There's not enough time for you. Uh, I actually would like to commend uh, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary. She's in Seoul, South Korea. This is a good thing. I think when the Biden administration does something wise, we should commend them for it. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is doing something wise, and we should commend her for it. She has gone to South Korea to an LG Group research facility, and she is calling on uh, the Western world to engage in what she is calling friend-shoring. As opposed to onshoring or offshoring, friend-shoring, in other words, stop doing business with and in China, and instead, the Western world should have each other's back. She is essentially calling uh, for a proposed paradigm shift that would have the U.S. and its allies trade more closely with each other and less with geopolitical rivals. So, for example, instead of manufacturing iPhones in China, consider South Korea or another U.S. ally where they can be done at scale and at uh, affordable cost so it doesn't bankrupt people or drive up the price. It's possible, and it's a good idea, and it is something we're going to have to think of. We used to live in a world where the United States was the global hegemon, and we are rapidly heading into a, a multilateral world where we have multiple powers competing to be the dominant power. And if we're honest, we've actually got two, us and China. Russia blusters, but doesn't count as much anymore. In the Cold War, when you had two dominant superpowers, the Western world traded with each other with priority over the Eastern Bloc countries of the Soviet Union. We need to go back to that encountering China. When we offload all of our supply chain to China, we become dependent on a communist regime that does not share our values. Even the communists of Vietnam want to be our friends now because they themselves do not like China. You tend to think of communist nations as allies against uh, the Western liberal world order, and it's not really true. The Vietnamese see the Chinese as trying to bully them, control them, and dominate them and take away their fishing rights in the South China Sea, and they would love to have arrangements and friendships with the West. Might be time to revisit that issue. Southeast Asia is greatly disturbed by China's growing threat that the Secretary of Treasury is in Southeast Asia and in Northeast Asia and South Korea right now saying we need to start doing business with each other and, and offloading our capacities to each other and not to China is a very wise thing. And the Biden administration deserves credit for being open about this. This is what they want. It's what every American should want. And I can't fault them for doing this, even if I doubt they're going to have the competence to implement it. At least they're beginning the conversations that a future Republican can follow through with.